Just a quick programming note before we get started. Today's episode includes a lot of interviews from FEMA's private sector partners and nonprofit organizations talking about innovative solutions, specifically in the area of disaster response. FEMA does not endorse any non-governmental organizations, entities, or services. I'm Mark Peterson, and this is the FEMA Podcast. We're recording live from the FEMA Region 9 Disaster Innovation Forum in Silicon Valley, where thought leaders from the public and private sectors are getting together to share innovative practices in preparing for, responding to, and recovering from disasters across the country, and in some cases, globally. This event is sort of unique from a typical corporate conference-style setup. Private sector partners have been giving short, 15-minute presentations sharing their own examples of innovation in their area of corporate social responsibility with regard to disaster response. These are fast-paced and dynamic. Think TED Talk-style presentations. On this episode, we're catching up with a few of those presenters to understand how we can all work together to leverage leading-edge technology and innovation to help support disaster survivors. Okay, so leading us off, FEMA Region 9 Administrator, the region that we're in right now, Mr. Bob Fenton. Thanks for joining me real quickly. Um, You know, innovation in disaster emergency management seems uh, like a great thing for FEMA Region 9, located in California, to be diving into. So why, for you, was it important for FEMA Region 9 to host an event like this focused on innovation in uh, emergency management? Well, it was important because uh, a lot of innovation across uh, the world is developed here, uh, not only in Silicon Valley, but in uh, California. And so to bring together uh, our partners, they're helping lead the way in innovating things that we use every day, technology that we leverage, whether it be phones, whether it be apps, uh, whether it be IT, uh, whether it be vehicles we drive, uh, to bring them together to have a discussion and learn from each other uh, and uh, leverage each other's resources seem to be something that uh, could help uh, survivors after disasters. And uh, to start that discussion here seemed appropriate. Bob, you have had an extremely long career and successful career as an emergency manager. You've been almost anywhere that FEMA has gone. So now that we're hosting this uh, event um, here in Region 9 and looking back on your career, uh, what are some of the things that you're most excited about from this um, this forum, um, but also just some of the initiatives that you've seen recently in disasters uh, from the private sector in helping disaster survivors? Well, it really comes in all phases. You know, when we think about, pre- you know, prevent, protect, respond, recover, and mitigate, technology is leading the way on uh, improving all phases of disasters. And private companies are bringing new ideas to help us improve the way we do business. And when I think back to the beginning of my career to now and the technology that's available now, uh, I'm amazed at how things have changed, how business has changed, and quite frankly, how it's improved over time. And so how do we leverage that and integrate it into the way we do things uh, so that we could help save more people and help people recover faster after disasters uh, is really, uh, and prevent you know, damages from disasters is what we're focused on here. So this is the first 
Disaster Innovation Forum for Region 9, but it's not the first time that you all are, are engaging in with the private sector. So is this sort of your vision going forward that um, we be focused more on innovation? Yeah, so we've had, I think, 11 private sector partnership meetings over the years. But really what we want to do is start focusing on more the innovative side. And when I go around and talk to different CEOs in the Bay Area that run different companies, and I was just sitting next door the other day, it it occurs to me that they have a business model that they're looking at. And when they hear of the problems that we experience in disasters or the things that we can do to prevent or to communicate to the public, they start connecting their technology or their system with things that will help the American public during disasters. And so I think we're building in a partnership where there's a significant amount of technology and innovation here in the barrier, uh, where we could leverage that and improve uh, how we help people uh, both before, during, and after disasters. Kelly Betts from Airbnb, thanks for taking a second to talk with us. Uh, We've previously engaged with uh, Airbnb on the podcast where we've talked about some of the kind of um, ways that Airbnb has been active in disasters uh, response and also recovery. Um, But I'm excited to talk to you about some of those innovative approaches. So I know Airbnb has really been thinking about how to engage disaster survivors in finding housing. Uh, Is that really, is that some of the things that you're continuing to work on right now as we think about innovation and disaster response? Yeah, so I think one of the things we know is for disaster survivors, finding temporary accommodations, particularly when they're evacuated, is one of the most critical components. Not just finding that roof over their head, but also finding that moment of relief and being able to go into somebody's home where there might be a host or somebody that you, you're able to do your laundry, you're able to cook, um, I think is something that we want to make sure is possible for all those that are evacuating. So um, the company is super invested in ensuring that we have the capacity and capability to continue to grow the program. Um, and so we're going to, we're going to continue to grow, um, open homes as much as we can. And I think one of the greatest use cases are those that are, um, evacuating in disaster because it is a few nights, potentially up to a few weeks. Um, and then we typically work with local partners to identify what's possible in recovery, knowing that some, most people need long-term, which isn't typically what we're able to provide or what our hosts are able to provide. And so we provide travel credits to relief agencies that typically are sending, um, their relief workers in. And what that allows for is hosts to get paid um, at full price, knowing that in a recovery, infusing resources into the local economy is one of the most important things we can do. Um, and so we want to ensure that local hosts are getting paid, but it's also no cost to the organization that is there helping with the community's recovery. Um, innovation forums, like the one that we're participating in here today, um, how important are those to sharing experience that you all have had with other you know, members of the private sector who are also thinking about um, new ways that they can engage in disaster response? Forums like these, I think, are very important for bringing together colleagues in both the tech and private sector space, but also intertwined with government. I think um, cross sector collaboration is absolutely critical in these times. And so sharing what we're doing, how we're doing it, how to connect in a response in between on blue sky days is probably one of the most important things we can do as part of our preparedness and resilience efforts. Um, I think for those of us that have been in the disaster space, one of the most critical things in a response is being able to pick up the phone or text somebody. um, And that's really how things happen, um, is having those relationships ahead of time and having the credibility, knowing that what you're providing is truly um, in line with what they're doing. um, And it's 
something that's actually needed and really trying to understand um, how to continue to modify our products or programs that really is in support of the community. So Carla Gray from Uber, um, you've done some really uh, amazing things recently in disaster response. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the ways that you are helping disaster survivors in response and then, you know, ultimately in recovery? Our main focuses recently uh, in responding to disasters have been helping with evacuation and uh, moving volunteers um, and first responders through our rides business, as well as donating meals through Uber Eats. And then um, more recently, we've started to leverage the Uber Freight platform to move goods. So um, a big focus for them has just been moving water uh, when it's needed. Uh, Hurricane Dorian and some of those other major disasters that hit the U.S., they were, we were able to mobilize them pretty quickly to move goods uh, um, to help with the recovery efforts. You know, one of the things you were telling me was that one of the pillars um, is um, of your social responsibility or corporate responsibility mm-hmm. is disaster response. So how, uh, how are you thinking about that um, in the work that you do? Well, you know, Uber is a global company, but we're, we think of ourselves as part of the local communities that we serve, and it's a very local product. So um, understanding that community recovery, recovery is really important for um, the, the people who use our platform and just for the success of local communities and thinking about um, what are the innovative ways that Uber can lean in to support those recovery efforts. And so I think it starts with being really close partners with the local government agencies and working through FEMA to do that, hopefully, um, to understand what the needs are. So it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all approach. Um, And what we don't want to do is walk in with a menu of services and say these are the only things we can do. We really want to understand what are the challenges a community is facing and how can we get creative and leverage our technologies and capabilities to support, um, especially in those times of need. I'm just kind of curious, how do you do that? I mean, from a company perspective, do you have a team that you fly in? Well, so it's a couple things. I think um, at the heart of Uber, we have a lot of folks who hustle and um, like to solve problems and um, are energized by uh, challenges and uh, the need the needs that come up, especially during a disaster. And so often we get those ops teams um and, you know, with, especially with things like a hurricane where we know it's coming, those folks are um, mobilized and ready and we're already thinking about what are ways that we can step up and support. Um, and then we have our Global Security Center, which is located in um, just outside of D.C. And they're 24-7, 365, uh, monitoring kind of what's happening in the world and ready to help Uber respond in those situations and then also kind of activate or mobilize uh, the personnel and resources we might need uh, to make decisions or, you know, jump in and create a response if necessary. So uh, today's forum is all about um, innovation and disaster response. Um, What are some of the things that you're excited about or thinking about um, in the next couple of years? We really are looking at Uber as a platform going forward, and Uber wants to become an operating system for how people move around cities. And so that's not just rides and eats and freight. It's micro-mobility, our e-bikes and scooters. Um, it's Uber Elevate, which uh, today we're running Uber copter rides from downtown Manhattan to JFK. But um, in the next several years, hope to actually take transportation vertical in cities. Um, and... So 
thinking through, um, you know, autonomous vehicles is another uh, thing that we're working on. So thinking through what are the, you know, opportunities and possibilities that those technologies could bring to preparedness and response and recovery. Um, and even understanding, I think, with the current lines of business that we have, there's still more that we can be doing. And so really um, getting in with the right partners to kind of get creative and understand what the real challenges are on the ground and think about how we can leverage our technology to be a part of the solution. Curtis Mentz from Verizon. Uh, This is a company that is seems to be always involved in disaster response um, throughout the country. So thanks so much for joining me for a couple minutes. Yeah, Um, my pleasure. So this innovation forum, uh, what are some of the things that you're hearing about or you're excited about um, as you sit and engage with other people from the private sector that are thinking about disaster response? Yeah, it really opens my eyes to a tremendous opportunity between uh, public and private sector. And I I know this uh, meeting today or this forum, this technology forum that FEMA is so gracious to be able to put on today, really opens my eyes to other opportunities or partnerships that we can make with the private sector. Um, other organizations, other businesses, associations that really have something to bring to the table when we're focused in on uh, supporting the community, first responders, public safety. So it really opens my eyes uh, to that, uh, number one. And then number two, the opportunity to calibrate with these folks and meet with them during breaks and even after today's event to be able to uh, continue or build those partnerships uh, and learn from other folks. So tremendous opportunity. Talk to me a little bit about Verizon's role in disaster response. What are some of the the core pillars of Verizon's disaster response capabilities and um, just the process by which you uh, engage communities that have been affected by disasters? Sure. So with our Verizon crisis response team, it is a national program, all activated by calling one number. And what we do at Verizon is that we bring emergency wireless communication equipment out to the field at no charge, and we make that equipment available to uh, first responders, public safety professionals, and uh, the community. And when I say the community, it would be relief organizations such as the American Red Cross, who we have a tremendous partnership with. So uh, in that particular example would be uh, shelter operations where people who have who are pushed away from their homes and evacuated evacuated and need some place to perhaps, um, you know, uh, lay down, rest, relax, and really figure out their next move. And while they're doing that in the shelter, we have, uh, we bring into those shelters um, phones for them to make their outbound calls, internet connected laptops, they can connect their own personal um, devices to a Wi-Fi signal, and then also charging stations that we uh, sometimes uh, is an afterthought, but uh, very, very important in this uh, technological age. So when you're thinking about supporting disaster survivors, you're not just thinking about building back the infrastructure, right, for the communication, but also bringing the communication devices to them. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and certainly our first priority is ensuring the network, our, our very strong Verizon Wireless 4G LTE network, continues to stay on the air because we consider ourselves critical infrastructure. There's no question about it. And ensuring that the people, the Verizon Wireless customers who depend and rely on us, not just the community, but also the first responders and public safety, it is absolutely critical that we keep that network on the air. In the un- unlikely event should something happen to the network, we immediately dispatch um, uh, folks from our system performance and network assurance teams to figure out what is going on and uh, bring that network back up as quickly as possible. Absolutely a top priority to us. So in the spirit of innovation and thinking forward, what are some of the things that you're working on for disaster response, making it more smooth, uh, making the process more smooth? Um, you know, what are some of the things that you hope to achieve in, in, the, next, in the years to come? Yeah, so uh, I'll tell you, I've been with uh, Verizon for over 30 years. So uh, I've seen a lot come and go. And uh, what's really exciting is what the future holds. Uh, I would say 5G is uh, our 5G ultra wideband technology is clearly something that will be, uh, you know, brought into uh, disaster response as the network, as our 5G network uh, gets built out throughout the country. Um, I, you know, it, it's a game changer. It really is lower latency and uh, faster speeds. It will really change how uh, public safety, quite frankly, and and the government entities, FEMA perhaps, will. Uh, run to that disaster or run to that crisis and help mitigate those issues. So I think 5G will be uh, an important component in the, in the future years to come as it relates to disaster response. All right, so Dustin Lee, who is um, with Cisco Tactical Operations, right? Yes. And um, so Cisco is a company that has been uh, working in the space of disaster response for years, right? Um, What are some of the things we might think about when we uh, are talking about Cisco in this space? Well, many of us know Cisco for the phones that we make on on people's desks or for the routers and switches that we produce uh, for enterprises to use in their businesses. Um, And what happened was that in 2005, uh, we sent a lot of employees and a lot of equipment down to, to respond to Hurricane Katrina. Um, and it was a really interesting response for us. Uh, honestly, we didn't know very much about disaster response. Uh, the equipment that we put together was really designed for data center environments, uh, which are very strictly climate controlled, aren't exposed to all the elements that you find in disasters like the wind and the rain and the sun. Um, so the equipment was not necessarily the best suited for disasters. Um, and then the people that we sent down, they were very very well-intentioned, but had never been trained under ICS. They didn't know who to report to. They didn't know who to work with. Um, So we took a lot of lessons out of Hurricane Katrina, and we formed a a full-time disaster response team, Tactical Operations, where our people are well-trained so that everyone knows what to expect in austere environments. Everyone knows how to integrate with the ICS structure. Um, and And the equipment that we bring in has gone through 14 years of R&D where we've tested it uh, and bulletproofed it so that it's super easy to set up in disasters. There's no need to really configure anything. You just plug in the cables and it's a very rapid, quick setup where in disaster environments, you know, everyone is screaming for 
internet or for for uh, for whatever you're bringing into disaster. So you need to be, make sure that your team is is able to respond very effectively and very quickly to these disasters. So that's how tactical operations got its start. So are we talking about equipment for responders primarily, or it's it's for all sorts of different organizations. So um, certainly first responders are a huge part of who we support. Um, so whether that is our through our partnerships with. Uh, local agencies or, for example, with Cal OES here in California, um, or as part of the FEMA tech sector collaboration. Um, first responders, obviously, they need to have the ability to have situational awareness of what's going on around the fire situation, for example. They also need to be able to uh, bring food and water and, and other resources into a disaster area. So having communications is a critical piece of, of doing that effectively. But also since about 2015, um, that was when we first started responding to the Syrian refugee crisis in Greece. And we realized that as folks were coming off the boats, the first question they would usually ask was, where am I? So that they wanted to make sure that they made it successfully across that really awful journey to Greece. But then the second question they would often ask uh, is, is there Wi-Fi here? And what's the password? Um, and it seems, it seems really trivial at first, right? Why, why, why is that the first thing that you want? Um, but it's, it makes sense after you think, if you think about it for a little bit because they're looking for a way to reconnect with their families. They want to get on WhatsApp and tell their families, hey, we made it safely across the sea. This is where to find us. This is, um, this is where we'll be. Uh, and also, you know, most Syrians, they, they don't speak Greek. So how do you survive in this new country where you don't speak the local language? Um, how do you find shelters? How do you find uh, water and food? How do you find jobs? How do you find, how do you apply for asylum status, for legal status in this new country? Um, so communications, we found, was not only critical for the first responders, but also for the affected population as well. So we've been doing more and more of that most recently for the Venezuelan refugee crisis. So in that vein, what, where do you see your products going or evolving over the next few years uh, when it comes to supporting those disaster uh, survivors? That's a really good question. Um, part of it is, I think, for us is uh, the relationships are really key to how we're able to engage effectively with the local populations. Um, I guess as the as common refrain goes, like every every emergency starts and ends locally. Um, so, so being able to build these relationships with NGOs and government agencies who understand the context, the local context of the disaster, I think that's part of what, what we, we strive really hard to do uh, over time. As far as the technology piece of it, I think there, there are always going to be incremental technology improvements. Uh, Wi-Fi is going to get faster. Um, the, the switches and routers that we build will get faster. So one of the other challenges that we have is just getting, it, getting internet into an area that's been totally cut off. So, so Puerto Rico was a good example of this, where they lost their fiber landing station for a while. Um, so they didn't really have internet coming into, into the island. So. Um, so we had to point up at the sky, and that's what we often do. We use satellite-based internet. Um, but the, the, the future of satellite-based internet seems to be evolving very quickly, and we've seen a lot of press on that in the past few months with uh, the new low-Earth orbit constellations, like with Starlink and uh, Amazon's Kepler uh, constellation and, and OneWeb and, and O3B. So, so it's, it'll be really interesting over the next few years to see how uh, that changes the game of connectivity and disasters, because I think we'll really see uh, the, the price of bandwidth come down, the availability go up, uh, and I think that will really uh, be great for the people that we serve, the first responders and the affected populations. So, Dustin, not only are you, uh, you know, working with 
Cisco Tactical Operations, you also have a second sort of collateral duty, right? And that's working with um, uh, IT Disaster Resource Center. Tell me about that. Yeah, so, so IT Disaster Resource Center, or ITDRC, is a 501c3 nonprofit that's been around for more than 10 years now, uh, providing Wi-Fi and laptops and printers and basically any technology need that you can really conceivably imagine in a disaster. Um, so I do this um, after I go home, after work, um, because I, I, really, I really believe passionately in, in the, the ways that technology can positively impact uh, in, in disaster response. Um, it happens that ITDRC, just like Cisco, is also a member of the tech sector collaboration, the FEMA tech sector collaboration. Um, so we all really work together and we partner together to, to bring uh, connectivity as well as the, the other technology pieces that are so, so necessary um, to, to these disasters. And where have you been deployed? For, uh, where has the ITDRC been deployed? So, so ITDRC is now all over the place. So, so we started out really as a domestic response group, uh, just operating within the U.S. Um, I, I did uh, Hurricane Maria with them for a few weeks, and that was a really impactful uh, uh, disaster that I think really changed the way that, that we kind of looked at how we scale our services. Because again, we had we had we had probably more than 70 sites across the island. Um, and even today, we still have sites that are open, uh, still supporting the recovery of Hurricane Maria. Um, uh, but uh, just recently, our team deployed to Hurricane uh, Dorian in the Bahamas as well. And we still have folks uh, out there responding to that. I was actually hoping that our operations director would be able to give the presentation, but he's actually deployed now into the, into the Bahamas. So, um, so uh, we've also been working uh, closely with uh, Cal OES on the campfire recovery here in California, um, supporting uh, not only the nonprofits who are bringing medical services back into the disaster, but also uh, shelters and uh, areas where the, the displaced persons from the campfire uh, now, now are living. Are you actually supporting with the actual physical hardware for these uh, events? Yeah, it's actually an amazing collaboration between uh, ITDRC, which, like you said, is a nonprofit, uh, as well as, a, as a technology companies from across the U.S. Um, so we partner, for example, with Google, uh, as well as with Amazon Web Services uh, and HP and Dell. And so all these uh, technology companies who are really competitors on the business space uh, really come together, uh, often under times, uh, oftentimes underneath the ITDRC flag, and they and we we bring all these companies and these volunteers who want to help so much in disasters. We bring them all together to push towards this common mission of reestablishing connectivity in disasters. So it's a really amazing uh, partnership. Uh, so we have lots of. Uh, lots of hardware that's been donated by these by these very generous companies that we that we deploy into disasters, uh, from laptops uh, from Dell to printers from HP to uh, network gear from Cisco. Um, so uh, even though we're really competing in the business, um, everyone really wants to to do the right thing in disasters. Um, so yes, we do have uh, boots on the ground volunteers uh, who set up this equipment and maintain it over time in each of these disasters. How do you how do you get it there? <laughs> uh, 
uh, with uh, some difficulty most of the time. <laughs> um, I mean, that's got to be one of your biggest challenges, right? Logistics is a huge concern, um, b both for ITDRC and for and for Cisco TACOPS. Um, getting getting disaster equipment into, especially foreign countries like in the Bahamas, where you have to deal with customs, that's that's very very challenging. Or to islands like Puerto Rico, where you know you don't have roads into Puerto Rico, you got to either fly it or, or or boat it into the island. So um, sometimes it's a little bit easier for for the campfire. Um, we set up more than thirty sites uh, across across the, that response. Um, and then in that case, we were able to drive it into, into the disaster. But um, ultimately, it comes down to the partnerships that we have. So uh, we work closely with, uh, for example, the UPS Foundation, uh, who has helped us to get a lot of the equipment onto the, onto the Bahamas. You are clearly very passionate about <laughs> both of these roles. Um, I'm wondering, like, what, what has inspired you over time? I think for me, the the biggest thing is just seeing um, the impact that we're able to make. Um, my very first disaster response with the UN, um, that was something that was very different than what I was working on uh, back back in 2013. I used to be working on, on robotics and prostheses, um, but when I when I you know when I worked with the UN and I volunteered with them and we turned on the Wi-Fi for the first time, you could see people's faces light up as they were able to reconnect with their families. Like that was that was so huge. Just that simple thing of bringing connectivity back to to one site to one family, and just imagine scaling that across uh, an entire disaster. So across all the Philippines that was affected by. Um, uh, Typhoon Yolanda, where we were providing support, for example, to the World Food Program, bringing food and logistics uh, back for the people who were affected. So, so the impact that you're able to make in disaster response, I think, is is really, really amazing, and that's that's the piece of it that that I really really love about it. So, uh, Crystal Young from Waste Management, um, I, I, I'm sure many people have seen images of disasters where we see just tremendous amounts of debris. Um, some of it is things that are going to be taken care of by uh, the community, some things by private um, homeowners and property owners and things like that. And part of that is sort of clearing that debris right? And then finding a place for it to go. And so waste management would certainly be uh, a partner in that whole effort, right? So um, in when you all are thinking about disaster response and in some ways recovery and thinking about new ways to sort of be more efficient with that waste, what are some of the things that you're thinking about? So immediately is community impact. Because for example, the, the campfire in paradise the impact to the community just from traffic was phenomenal. It was huge because of the amount of crews and trucks that they needed to clean up the disaster in a timely manner. It was just unprecedented what they needed. And to have to go to three different facilities and send thousands of trucks to three different facilities every single day to have 20,000 plus tons of material coming out of there a day is just, it's massive. So what we think about is how, how can we safely, efficiently, you know, get material in and out the best way possible without impacting the community, without impacting the environment. So those are, those are huge things. 
And then, of course, just managing the facility. You know, in, in Anderson, my facility, it's a 250-ton-a-day site. We went to 12,000 tons a day efficiently, you know, to come up with ways to not impact our neighbors and our communities with the trucks just going by hundreds at a time. I mean, we're 100 trucks an hour, over 100 trucks an hour in and out of that facility. That's probably an incredible experience, both for the the plant itself and the work that you do, but also those communities. I'm wondering, waste management um, works with communities across the entire country. And so you're here in Northern California, but are you sharing innovative practices um, from disasters that occur around the country? Absolutely. As a group, as a team, we have to. We have to rely on each other. I mean, we're a team. So what works in one place might not work somewhere else. For example, in, in the south, uh, there was a different way to handle trucks getting in and out of the facilities because of all the rain, whereas here in Northern California, there is no rain, so that's a totally different way to manage. And a lot of us are able to bring new ideas and ways to make it more efficient and safer and quicker. And so likewise, you know, we're here at this Disaster Innovation Forum. Um, you know, what are some of the things that you would like to take away and what are some of the um, ideas that you're hoping to share um, for other private sector partners that are engaged in emergency management? I would like everybody to know that what our main focus on besides the environment, people, safety, the, the normal things is that we strive to just be the best of the best. And our, our policies, our procedures, the way we do things, the way we build, the way we manage our facilities, is, it, it's, un, it's just amazing what they do. The, the amount of time and resources and effort and innovative ideas, new, new things. A lot of it's about preparation. We need to be prepared. And I think sometimes we're not always prepared. <laughs> So we're just really focusing on being prepared and being a viable solution, a viable option. Emily Barony from 805 Help, which is changing names. Emily, tell me about that. Yeah, so um, we built 805 Help in Ventura County, so the name made sense. And now we're taking what we built locally and we're taking it globally, which is why we're renaming the company to be connected. And so what we like to say is that strangers become neighbors in disaster recovery. So when you think about what you would do if your neighbor lost their home in a fire or a flood, you would give them some clothes, you'd take care of their dog, you'd cook them dinner or something. Um, But what if you don't know somebody who needs that help in a disaster? And Connected is a tech platform that connects people who have help to give with people who need help. So the idea of taking a grassroots uh, entity and going global, tell me about that story. Yeah, so I don't know anything about disaster recovery. I'm a social entrepreneur, and I build businesses that make the world a better place. And I was in Ventura, living my life, running one of my companies, um, and, and that company runs the business operations of nonprofits, so we help them professionalize and grow. And then the Thomas Fire broke out, and everybody knew somebody who lost a home. Half my team was evacuated, and so I closed my company for two weeks, and I paid my employees to take care of themselves, and um, I knew I had to help. And I became one of those really dreaded, awful, spontaneous volunteers who bought water and showed up with water that nobody needs. Um, 
And then when I finally went to donate it, I got turned away because nobody needs water. <laughs> and, um, but I know how to do this for a living. And so I knew we had to do things differently. And uh, so I built a website at that time, Thomas Fire Help, then 805 Help, now connected. Um, and my vision was we, everybody wants to help and no one knows how. So what if we just told people what help was actually needed? And, and what if we could even take down those barriers even further so we're not even going through another organization? You're telling me what you need, and I'm saying, great, I'll give that to you. So that, that's what we built. Hmm. It's like an amazing story of uh, what they say, necessity is the mother of invention. Entirely. Well, and communities always self-organize during disasters. And our, our secret sauce is, is that I run nonprofits for a living. And so we immediately professionalized the grassroots um, recovery. And my company underwrote all of our work, so we were paid professionals. And most, non- I'm sorry, most um, volunteer efforts, you can't. I'm still supporting Thomas Fire people. It's two years later. You can't expect anybody to, any volunteer to maintain it for that long. So what we realized is nobody's leveraging technology in disaster recovery. Um, communities always self-organize, but they don't really know how to do it, and they don't have the lasting power. Uh, and so that's what we're doing. So what does the future hold, uh, you know, when you think about what Connected will be um, for innovative ways to help in disaster response and recovery? Sure. So what we're envisioning is we have an app. We're building it right now. Um, and we will deploy during disasters, but also in advance of disasters. Um, we have a vision to do pre-disaster preparedness missions. Very simple, easy things like upload your driver's license to the cloud. Like write the names and addresses of three people and put them in your go bag. Have a go bag. And here are the 10 things who, that are in your go bag. And if you don't want to make it, here's how to buy one. And if you can't afford to buy one, let us know and we'll find one donated. So just like taking down all the barriers for people to get prepared because nobody does it. It's not fun. It's not sexy. We all know we're supposed to do it, but we don't actually do it. So, um, so we have this vision of pre-disaster and also in-disaster deployments we physically go into the community and boost them up. So it's not us running the show, it's the community running the show, but we're giving them best practices and technology. And then the really, really, really big vision is that we are actually revolutionizing philanthropy and humanitarianism. Because yes, in disasters, everyone needs help and everyone wants to help, but also every single day, people need help in a community. And every single day, someone wants to help in a community. But what if, I don't have eight hours to volunteer. What if, you know, my, a, a meeting cancels and I've got two hours, why can't I look in my phone and say, I've got two extra hours, how can I help somebody with those two hours? And so that's what we're building. Okay, so Dan Parham with uh, Nextdoor, uh, certainly a group that is no stranger to disaster response and recovery. Uh, Dan, what are some of the things that you're working on now um, at Nextdoor to kind of help the communication between disaster survivors, their community, um, help them know what's going on uh, in this sort of frantic time of their lives? Just, said, just starting off in terms of um, what we do at Nextdoor, uh, we're really focused on connecting neighbors around the issues that they care about. Um, and so a lot of people's experience with the, with the platform is sort of the everyday, um, everyday life in the neighborhood. You know, I've lost my dog or I need help with something or I'm trying to, to, trying to sell something. And these are very lightweight interactions. 
But from a capacity building perspective, it's a really simple way for people to connect in times where it's not stressful, right? And that, the idea of building this, this network gives you the opportunity to, um, you know, from a, from, a, from a member perspective, it gives them the opportunity to develop meaningful relationships that one day could be incredibly important in, in times of shock and stress. One of the things that strikes me about Nextdoor is establishing uh, a trusted a trust absolutely um, within the community. Absolutely, and that's one of the things that is always uh, difficult in disasters to help get word out about things that people need to know. They want to go to a trusted source. Absolutely, it's too late, right? So some of the work that um, that I've done in the past with uh, the Department of Emergency Management in the city and county of, of San Francisco. Uh, a project called SF72, a lot of people are familiar with. One of the key insights from that research was when the disaster is about to happen or if it's happening, it's too late to build that trust, right? It's a really simple idea, but an important idea. Once you have that trusted network, lots of amazing things are possible. They're in that position of extreme stress, at that, at that time. And that's when people learn about things like neighborhood stores, right? I didn't know that there were neighborhoods in San Francisco where people had supplies mm. for their neighbors, for themselves and their neighbors. And that, that kind of, if you have a trusted network, uh, neighbors can share that information when it's needed, right? So that, that's just one example. I think the bigger opportunity here is... Um, the bigger opportunity here is partnering with public agencies, first responders, emergency services. Um, if you think about it just from an infrastructure standpoint, like what we're doing at Nextdoor is we're building this, this layer that would be extremely expensive for any one agency to build. It'd be very difficult for a uh, a, 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 especially a, a city agency, for example, to say, hey, we want to build like consumer grade technology so that all the neighbors in our in our city can be connected. It's a it's a it's a difficult set of problems. It's kind of expensive. But if you take the approach of doing it at scale, which is what technology is so good at, you can essentially build this resource that any local agency can tap into as needed. And I think the real opportunity, especially when we think about FEMA and our you know our partners in the federal government, is this idea of encouraging the state and local agencies to use tools like Nextdoor for what they're really good at. And what we're really good at is geo-targeted messaging. And that's really the win-win. That's what we're so excited about. It's I mean our mission is to help help our neighbors build safe, strong communities. I mean, that is absolutely vision aligned with our public agency partners. We welcome your comments and suggestions on this and future episodes. Help us to improve the podcast by rating us and leaving a comment. If you have ideas for future topics, send us an email at fema-podcast at fema.dhs.gov. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics, visit fema.gov slash podcast. Podcast.